You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truths from his word today. Love is so deep. How deep is your love that he gave himself for his church. I wonder this morning if we love his church as much as he loves his church. Take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament. The book of Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. I'm going to preach on commitment and faithfulness to Christ's church today. In Exodus chapter 20, I want to pick up with verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Don't just throw out that profession that I'm a Christian. If you're going to testify to being a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, then live it out. Otherwise, it is picking up his name in vain. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And then it's interesting to me that that commandment is followed by the commandment to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If we're going to take his name, and I'm not ashamed to take his name, are you? Then the next commandment says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now he tells us how to do this. How to make the Lord's day a holy day. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He set it apart as a holy day. The prophet said the day extends from the rising of the sun until the going down thereof. In that day, his name shall be praised. If you do any study of American history, you don't have to look that far back in our history to see that there once used to be many laws concerning the Sabbath. It once used to be illegal to do any commerce or business on the Sabbath day. Some of those laws are actually still on the books. There are certain counties here in Michigan where there is No hunting on the Sabbath. 
Most of you know that car dealerships are for the most part all closed on Sunday. You know why? That goes all the way back to the Sabbath laws. But the more secular we become as a nation, the Sabbath has all but gone by the wayside. Now it has become a day of recreation when the Bible said it's not a day to do your own thing or to go your own way or to seek your own pleasure. But it is the Sabbath is unto the Lord. But today it's a day of business, it's a day of pleasure, it's a day of sports, it's a day of everything other than a holy day. I'd like you to take your Bible and turn into the New Testament. A very familiar passage of scripture. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23 through verse 25. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the what? Interesting. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful, that promise. We're going to talk about faithfulness and commitment and loyalty and stewardship to the local church today. Verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. If you cannot see the day of Christ approaching, there, there is something wrong with your prophetical view of Scripture. Now take your Bible with me and turn to Acts chapter 2, the early church. What was it like when the church first began? Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. We'll have a baptismal service next Sunday evening. And the same day were added unto them, to the local church there, about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers, verse 46, and they continued what? Daily. Daily. Boy, they love going to church. <laughs> and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 says these words, Moreover, moreover, above everything else that we are accountable to the Lord for, moreover, it is required in stewards in every one of us 
are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. God has entrusted to us the Sabbath. And we are to be stewards of that which he has entrusted to us. We are to steward it as the holy day that God set it apart to be. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found, say it, faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to uphold in today's message this sacred day. Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, a faithful man who can find. It's hard to find a faithful man today. It really, really is. It's hard to find a faithful woman. I think there's a few more of them than there are faithful men. The Bible says, a faithful man shall abound with blessing. And so I put a challenge before you today. Are you being a faithful man? Are you being a faithful woman? Are you experiencing the blessings of God being poured out in your life simply because you are being a faithful steward in every area of your Christian life? Today particularly we're going to talk about the Sabbath. I want to approach this church attendance message today from a little bit different angle than I have approached it before. I want to talk about commitment. I'll tell you, we're living in a day and age where commitment has all but gone out the window too. It seems like very few people want to be committed to anything. I want to talk about commitment, faithfulness, stewardship, and responsibility. A few weeks ago, we were sitting at the dinner table after church on Sunday and I always sat at the head of the table and Shelly's dad always sat to my left and then mom dad's seat will be empty now but dad said to me he said Dan I did not like your message this morning And this was the first thing that came to my mind. Okay, here comes a joke. Dad was a jokester. I don't think there was a dinner that we had together that he didn't tell two or three jokes. So I said, okay, he's going to have a joke about a preacher. And I answered him, I said, well, why didn't you like the message, Dad? And that's what my father-in-law said. He goes, I wasn't convicted today. Was something about my father-in-law. He always made sure that his family was in a church that strongly preached the Word of God and where conviction went forth from the pulpit. And I appreciate that about my father-in-law. I want you to understand something. Conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit. When God's Word is preached... Jesus said the Holy Spirit will bring conviction of sin. How many have ever been convicted? Of righteousness and of judgment. 
Last week we preached on the judgment seat of Christ. Sin, righteousness, judgment. John said these words, Hereby we know, we know that we are of the truth, that we are men and women of truth. This is how we know it, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, one of the ways we know that we're of the truth is that when we hear the truth, there's conviction that comes to our heart. I was able to lead a couple to the Lord this week in my office, and I said to the gentleman after he prayed one of the most beautiful salvation prayers I've ever heard, and we'll be baptizing both of them next Sunday night. I said to him, I said, I just want to tell you something. You're now going to feel like a greater sinner now that you got saved than you did before you were saved. That really got him excited. But one of the ways we know we're of the truth is that we feel that conviction in our hearts when God's word is preached. But then it says this, but God is greater than our heart. Hallelujah. He can bring forgiveness and restoration to a convicted heart. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we have confidence before God. Some of you are going to be deeply convicted about the message this morning. Uh, the rest of you are going to say, Amen. I want you to know as I get started today on this, that it is not my purpose this morning to make you feel guilty or to shame you or somehow try to pressure you into a deeper commitment to the Lord and to his church. You know what? That's not my work. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That is not mine. But I do know one thing, that when the word of God is preached, if you are men and women of the truth today and there are some things that need to change in your life, the Spirit of God will bring conviction. And let me tell you, when he brings conviction, say, I surrender. I will submit that area. I will, to the very best of my ability, become a faithful Christian in this area. I believe that church attendance should be a priority for every one of us. You know why I say that? Because the Bible says it. I mean, how can you need any greater loyalty and, and priority than forsake not? I think, however, we need to have a little bit of education today as to what is the church. People are so confused as to what the church is. So as we look in the scripture, we find that there are three analogies that emerge, all from the writings of the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He called the church a building. He called the church a bride. And he called the church a body. And so I want to look at those three analogies that are given to us by the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul. The church is not this physical building that we sit in today. How many of you know that? We call it the church. Say, I'm going to church. We're not going to church. We're going to a building where the church meets. Okay? We are the church. Once all the believers are out of this building, it no longer is a church. Although that's what we call it. I understand that. But the church is a spiritual building. It is a temple. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of that building. And he is the cornerstone of the building. God's spirit indwells that building or that temple through its members. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Once you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, at that moment you are baptized into the body of Christ and you become part of his building. The church in this dispensation is being built by Christ. One day his church is going to be finished. The last soul that ever will be saved will be saved and the church will be complete and will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But right now Christ is building his church. He said, I will build my church. And the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. In the book of Acts chapter 2 that we just read from, they were saved, they were baptized, and they were added unto the church. Saved, baptized, added unto the church. What church? That local church that met there in Jerusalem. The Bible says the church is built as a habitation of God on earth. God inhabits his church through his people. We as individual Christians, the Bible says, we are living stones that make up this spiritual house. I was raised in Lons. There was a parsonage. My dad was a pastor. There was a parsonage. And we lived on Main Street. There was a parsonage. There was a church. Then there, there was a building where the church met. Uh, then there was another house. And then the next house was a rock house. And the rocks lived in the rock house. Can you imagine that? That was their name, the rocks. And she was a piano teacher. But when I would see that house, I would be reminded of Christ building his church. And how every one of us are living stones that he places into that spiritual house, which is his habitation here on earth. Ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priest. We should be holy. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And ye are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They laid down that foundation of Christ. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building, the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple. Notice how holiness is stressed in his church. A holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also, ye also, you and me, are building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. God inhabits his church through his people. He is the foundation, he is the cornerstone, and he's still to this day building his church. Those two people that accepted the Lord in my office, two more stones in the temple. You want to hasten the coming of the Lord? Start leading people to Christ. 
We are laborers together with him in the great work of building his church. So the church is called a building. It's also called the bride. The Bible said, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. So members of Christ's church are united to him by marriage. United to him by marriage. We are called through scripture the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 22. Listen to Revelation chapter 19 because one day there is a marriage going to take place. After the tribulation period, just prior to Christ's return to this earth, there is going to be a wedding ceremony in heaven. Revelation 19, verse 5, And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, ye who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Now listen, and the wife hath made herself ready. We are the bride of Christ, married to him in a wonderful covenant relationship. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, write, Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. There's going to be a wedding and there's going to be a marriage supper following that wedding that's going to be beyond all wedding celebrations. They say that the average wedding in America costs $20,000. We've never had an average wedding here at Fellowship Baptist Church. <laughs> But can you imagine the amount of money that is spent on weddings? The most fabulous wedding that has ever been held here on this earth will not compare with the wedding that we're going to experience in heaven. I'm telling you. The Bible says as the bride of Christ we are to make ourselves ready. Are you with me? Amen. We are to make ourselves ready for that marriage. It is unbelievable the amount of time that girls spend preparing for their wedding. My daughter Christina is already, it's months before she's going to get married and she's already making preparations. She's already making flowers and all kinds of stuff. I remember my dad, and this really resonated with me as a young man, when my dad would preach about the church being the bride of Christ, and my dad would just emphasize how as the bride, as the wife belonging to Christ, we should never commit adultery. And I thought about how serious adultery is. 
It's a very serious sin. I don't think anything would damage a marriage more than a husband or wife being unfaithful and committing adultery. I'm so thankful for a faithful wife. But my dad would say, you know, when you're living a carnal life, when you're living a worldly life, you are actually committing spiritual adultery against Christ. And I thought about that over and over again. Think about that. If you're living a worldly life, you are living in adultery. That's serious. As a bride, we need to keep ourselves for our bridegroom. So the church is called a building, it's called a bride, and it's also called a body. We are called the body of Christ. You will find this over and over again throughout the epistles. Christ is the head. Are you all still with me? Christ is the head. We are the body, and the body has many members, and Christ lives his life through his body, the habitation of God on earth. Phil said in the Sunday school class this morning, he said, you know, and you've heard this before, we are, to many people, the only Christ that they will ever see. For me to live is what? So he is the head and he lives his life through us. Christ liveth in me. Each of us as members of Christ's body receive our direction from our head. We follow that direction. We follow his word. We follow the promptings of his Holy Spirit. Listen, Christ is dependent upon his body to accomplish his purpose on earth. Christ, I'm going to say it again, Christ is dependent upon his body, which you are, to accomplish his purpose on earth. And we are dependent upon Christ for the wisdom and direction and the ability and the power to carry out his purposes. Amen. That's why we're labors together with him. So as a building, we are the temple of God. As the bride, we are the bride of Christ. As the body, having many members... With Christ as our head. There's another way I would like you to look at the local church here this morning. I would like you to see it as an extended family. I love it when God adds members to our body. To that extended family. The family of God. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, a family member. The younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. We're the family of God. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. I am so glad I'm a part of what? I can't hear you. What? The family of God. Are you glad you're part of the family of God? Part of that building, part of that 
bride, part of his body. I believe that it's absolutely necessary for every born-again Christian to identify themselves as a member of a local church. Now is where some of the conviction, I hope, will kick in. Many of God's people just simply do not understand the importance of the local church. They don't understand commitment to the local church. They don't understand membership in a local church. They don't understand how important it is to support their local church, to serve in their local church, and be faithful to their local church. It is just not important to them. Most professing believers will readily agree that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Most Christians would say, amen, I believe that, brother. But when it comes right down to being faithful to the local church and being obedient to God's clear command, do not forsake then there's a myriad of excuses. The word church appears 114 times in the Bible. It's a few mentions. Of the 114 time that, times that it appears, it's always, trans, it's always the word ecclesia which means an assembly of people called out, or a called out assembly. Now listen to me here. 99 times when the word church is mentioned in the Bible, it refers to a specific, particular local church just like ours, usually called out by name, like the church at Ephesus, the church at Rome, the church at Colossae, the church at Philippi, and so on. 99 times. Now, how many times is the word church mentioned? 114. 99 of those times, it refers directly to a local church assembly just like ours. Eight times, it refers to local churches in general, like the churches of Galatia. Still referring to local churches, but... Churches in a particular location, like the churches of Jackson. Eight times. 99 and 8 is what? That's what I came up with, too. 107 times. That leaves how many? Seven. That leaves only seven places where the church isn't necessarily referred to as a local body. And from those seven verses, there has emerged a doctrine called the universal church. How many have ever heard about the universal church? Okay. They also call it this, the invisible church. And there seems to be more emphasis placed on this universal bride and body and building than the local 
bride, body, and building. I remember one time talking to a fellow and he said, you know, I don't believe in church membership. I said, really? The Bible talks about it over and over. I don't believe in church membership. He said, I'm a member of the invisible church. I said, well, where does that church meet? I've never seen an invisible church. Who's the pastor? Who are the deacons? Who are the Sunday school teachers? Who's the piano player? Where do you send your tithes and offerings? You get my point? You can't be a member of an invisible church. That's just nonsense. No, we are to be members, each believer is to be members of a local visible church. This is where the body, the building, the bride of Christ meets on a regular basis. If you don't believe that, listen, listen to some of these verses. And you tell me, could this possibly be the invisible church? These are verses that are actually used in that doctrine of the universal church. But now hath God set the members, members, hear that word members? Hello, you hear the word members? Now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. How in the world could that be it? the invisible church? That's impossible. Here's another one. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. How could that apply to anything other than a local church? Certainly can't apply to a universal invisible church. Here's another one. And those members, notice the word members. And those members of the body which we think less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. They're not invisible. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Can't be an invisible church. That there should be no schisms or division in the body, but that the members of that body should have the same care one for another. How can that be an invisible universal church? And whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. That has to be a local church. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. How can you hold an office in an invisible church? Are you all here? Half of you are sleeping. Isaac, uh, turn the air down. Turn down. Oh, he's Mr. High Tech. He's going to do it with his phone. <laughs> Turn it down a notch. Listen, this is an important message. 
Here's another one. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. It has to be, a, I could keep going. This has to be a local church. I want to say something to you all. Listen to me. Get committed. Get committed to your local church. I know it's a rare commodity today to find commitment. I know it's low on the priority list of many believers. And to me, that's very, very sad. It's very, very sad. It's not uncommon today to see so many Christians just move from church to church. Hop from here and hop to there. Many of them are trying to leave problems in one church and issues in one church and they won't submit themselves to a pastor or be committed to a group of fellow believers. My dear people, this is not right. To join a church as a formal member is a biblical thing to do. It's where your commitment lies. It's where your stewardship lies. To cut yourself off from the local church is to cut yourself off from blessing and is to cut yourself off from opportunity. In the scriptures, when individuals repented of their sin and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were baptized and they were added to a local church. Not to some universal invisible church. There wasn't such a thing as, this is my private commitment to Christ. No, he wants his church to be public. Very visible for all to see. When they gathered together, they met, yes, daily. And even from house to house. And what were they doing? Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. They were being taught. They were fellowshipping with each other. You can't do that in an invisible church. They were observing the Lord's table and prayer became a priority. Now I do want to say something. It's ten after. I do want to say something. If you're waiting to join a church to find a perfect one, please do not join it. Do you know why? Because you will ruin it. The book of Acts talks about the whole congregation, the church in Jerusalem, the disciples in Jerusalem, in every church, the whole church, the elders of the church. Deacons were first chosen in Acts chapter 6 to take care of problems that were arising in the church. Deacons are not to be a problem. I'm so glad our deacons aren't problems. Aren't you? There's nothing worse than a problem deacon. I think every preacher ought to have the right to shoot a problem deacon. <laughs> Praise the Lord, we don't have those kind of deacons. But deacons weren't chosen to serve an invisible 
universal church. No, local church. Pastoral authority can only extend to a local church. The Bible said, remember them which have the rule over you, talking about your pastor, who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for this is unprofitable to you. Listen, I'm not the pastor of some invisible church. I can only be the pastor of those who say we want to put our membership in Fellowship Baptist Church where you are the pastor. We want to be under pastoral leadership. That's biblical. One of the things that always bothered me about the homeschool movement, although we homeschooled all of our kids, except, well, we homeschooled Levi up to the last couple of years when Shelly's health got so bad. One of the things that always bothered me about the homeschool movement, and many within the homeschool movement developed the home church movement. Well, we're just having our own little church here. You know what that is? That's rebellion. That's rebellion. We're just going to pastor my own little flock here. That's not wanting to be under authority. Don't get me going on that, okay? How about discipline? If discipline has to be measured out, discipline, church discipline is talked about. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Titus chapter 3. How can you church discipline someone who's not a member of the church? By the way, that's why some people don't join a church. Now you say, Pastor, you know, you're talking about hopping around and, you know, is there, is there reasons for leaving a church? Yes. Sometimes God calls people away, moves them into another ministry, just like sometimes he calls pastors away. I ain't being called away. <laughs> Don't. I saw a big smile come on some of your faces. Maybe he's resigning. I'm not resigning. I've been here so long, no one wants someone this old anyway anymore. <laughs> no, it's true. As older pastors, we talk about that. Everyone wants a 35-year-old pastor that has 60 years of experience. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but there are reasons to leave a church. I'm going to tell you some reasons why I would leave a church. I would leave a church if it starts teaching heresy. I would leave a church. If it becomes heretical in its teaching, I would leave. Matter of fact, the um, funeral director said to me yesterday, he said, you know, the, he said, I just had a funeral up here at the um, uh, Congregational Church in Jackson. He said, do you know they now have a homosexual pastor who's married? He goes, don't you think that's about as liberal as you can get? I said, that's about as liberal as you can get. That's disgusting. No, I'd, I'd leave a church if heretical teaching was there. There was a church that was unwilling to preach on sin and started to embrace this prosperity gospel. I would leave a church like that. 
I would leave a church if it started to compromise and became contemporary and became worldly and stopped preaching the gospel. I would leave a church if it changed its Bible. I would leave a church if it changed its music. I would leave a church if it changed its standards. I would leave a church if I had to relocate. But um, a two, three hour drive, no big deal. You can make it. <laughs> However, that's not why most people leave a local church. They hop around every few years because they become discontent, because there's disputes, unresolved conflicts, they become disgruntled. They develop a disdain for the pastor. Truthfully, you know what? The biggest reason people leave Fellowship Baptist Church is not because of you, it's because of me. They leave because they heard there's a better preacher down the road. They leave because another church has a better facility or better programs or better ministry opportunities. They leave because they don't like this or they don't like that or they got offended or sometimes just they're trying to run away from their sin. We've had a number of people that just have left because they're running away from their sin and they don't want accountability. You know, church hopping is really an American phenomenon and it's based upon the consumer mentality. What can the church do for me? Instead of what can I do for the Lord through his church? If you're in a good fundamental church like Fellowship Baptist, stay put. Glue your hind end to that seat. If you get upset with the preacher, get over it. Amen. Grow up. Amen. Because I get upset with you sometimes too. <laughs> Why don't we just stick to forbearing one another and forgiving one another? As God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. Well, that's the commitment. My next point is stewardship. But I think you got the message. We got it, church? That was a pretty weak amen. Do we got it? Okay, I'll quit then. That first amen, I was going to keep going. Do you love your church? Do you love it as much as Christ loved it? That he would give himself for it. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening. 
of Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.